Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Somerville. Hey everybody, still in the midst of COVID-19, aren't we? So how is everyone doing? I hope you're all doing very well. We're all still on lockdown, we're all adjusting to Zoom calls and house party for a bit of relief. So we're doing okay over here. So fortunately our industry in health tech is certainly not slowing down. Plenty of startups working around the clock, government institutions, corporates, everybody's uh, doing their bit for COVID-19 at the moment. So we have plenty to keep us going. And on that note, next week, I'm doing office hours with Zoe Peden from Ananda Ventures. So next week on Wednesday, the 8th of April from 11.30 in the morning, <coughs> excuse me, we are doing office hours virtually on Zoom. So you can apply now. You can head to the description of this episode to check out the link to apply. Uh, so obviously we are looking particularly at orthopedic investments because of our joint fund with Orthopedic Research UK and Ananda Impact Ventures are looking for just that. So they are looking for startups making impact and health tech is one of their sectors along with EdTech and some others. So if you're in health tech, you're looking for advice, you're looking for funding, head to the description of this episode to check out the link to apply to that office hours next week. So you might also remember that I've been talking about going back to clinical to help out. Well, for those of you following this little story, I was contacted by the GMC to say that my license has been reinstated. And I was then contacted by a company working on behalf of the NHS to do all my background employee checks. So I'm now waiting for another phone call to discuss where I will be placed. So now I won't be going back full time. I initially said a couple of days a week, which in my head is kind of working the weekend right now while all my other commitments kind of even themselves out, but might be able to squeeze a day or two out in the week as things continue, depending on what's needed. Um, but it was a funny one. It was all, well, it was all made pretty real when I was on the phone talking about the skills that I thought I had and where I thought I could help. And I think it comes down to the fact that I was anesthetics and intensive care or critical care. Um, and with this being a respiratory virus, it's airway management, it's ventilated patients, it's dealing with the critically unwell. You know, I've spoken to many who could potentially return and there's a lot of anxiety around clinical competence and their ability to, you know, help and do a good job. But I think, you know, whilst I do feel that, and by the way, slightly petrified at times now when I'm sort of daydreaming and running through all the old emergency scenarios and crashing patients in my head and the rest of it. I do just think that if I trained in anything else, I might be able to justify not going back and I might feel a bit differently, but I'm kind of being pulled in, in a way, by the fact that I think I could have valuable frontline skills being, um, you know, core anaesthetic trained and, and having completed core anaesthetic training. So anyway, for those of you that listen regularly, I'll keep you updated and informed with uh, that little journey on this podcast and especially if I head back to the front line. But now onto some tech and so here's a conversation I had a few weeks ago with Jana Dowling, who's the founder and CEO of mental health tech startup Arkeo, and all about her journey from stand-up comedy to mental health patient and now health tech entrepreneur. So enjoy the episode and stay safe. So Jana, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Thanks. I'm really good, thank you, actually. I'm having a good morning today. Excellent. It is nice and sunny after the storm, right? Oh my gosh! That, that storm, I, I was, I was, I was impressed by, but also not impressed by it. <laughs> Same. I think one chair blew over where I live, and everyone caused like a massive scene. 
Um, <laughs> it's worst, like the worst thing that's happened in like 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we, we like to overreact to weather, I think. <laughs> Definitely true. Definitely true. It gives us something to talk about. Um, exactly. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Jenna? So I'm in East London. I'm in my office, which is called Ideal London, which is about to become part of the Barclays Eagle Health Tech Lab. Oh, you're based there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's a really cool space. There's an incredible tech startups in here. And it's, it's actually just really nice to be around other people in my situation because my team I'm building right now isn't yet in-house. So it's nice not to be completely alone. <laughs> Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So you, you must know John Spindler and Nathan and all those people yeah. down there. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah. say hello for me. I will. I will. <laughs> cool. So, Jana, the way that we kick off these podcasts, as you know, is I get you to tell your story. So obviously we've had, well, we had a call originally, then you came down to one of our events and I've heard all of your story and so have the guests of that event. But apologies if you, if you came to that, you've got to hear it all again. But... For the benefit of the other listeners, Jana, why don't you tell us your story? Okay. Um, so it started about three years ago. I, um, I used to work in TV as a production manager and I worked, um, also started doing stand-up in the evening. So I was sort of doing stand-up three times a week and working. Um, and I went to Edinburgh, did my 20-minute um, set, had a great time. When I got back, I just started to feel not very well and it ended up becoming actually quite unwell and having to leave work because I was basically depressed. Um, and it was a it was a pretty bad time for me. Um, but as I came out of the depressive episode I was in, I realised that actually what happened to me didn't just happen to me. It happened to my friends, my family, my work colleagues. Um, you know, it wasn't just all about me, even though it felt like it was at the time. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to do something about that. So I wasn't well enough to work immediately. So I kind of took my recovery on like a job, and I started tracking everything I was doing I started tracking um all my behaviors my habits um and then all of the things that I was finding really challenging so the symptoms I was having and um my medication and everything and I started to put it together on one one piece of hateful paper so that and I, I labeled everything in zeros and to zero to three so that I could kind of see patterns in how things were connecting and correlating. And then basically I used the data I was collecting to make decisions. I didn't listen to how I felt. I was like, this data is telling me what to do. So I did it. And then I got back into work within three months, back into a senior position within six weeks, um, was incredibly stable, continued to use it. Um, and it worked really well for me. And then I kept meeting people that were like myself or lost their job or trying to get into work. Um, and I then decided to do something to help them. So I set up the social enterprise, um, which I called the 888 Collective, because I'm awful at naming companies. You can't say, <laughs> you can't say it out loud easily. I literally, every time I was like trying to call people, I was like, it's Jana from the 888 Collective. It's just the worst name ever. Um, anyway, um, I named it that. And it was a social enterprise that was completely focused on helping people with mental health issues get back into work. Um, and basically I didn't have enough money to open up a cafe in a shop, which is what I wanted to do. So instead I bought myself a secondhand panini machine from the basement of a pub and I got myself a free shed space in East London and I started selling tea and toasties out of the shed and I hired anyone that had a mental health issue that wanted a job and I paid them for their time and we sold tea and toasties 
and um, I taught them my tracking system and we went into all the WeWorks around London and sold all <laughs> the tea and toasties there because it was freezing. It was December in 2016, I think, and it was totally cold. Um, and people started to leave me to get back into work. So I then turned it into a course um, to help more people. Um, the NHS and Job Centre started referring people to me. We kept getting people back into work, which was awesome. And we'd put on events and do some cool stuff. And then, and then people who didn't have mental health issues started using my tracking system. And everyone kept asking me to turn it into an app. And so then I kind of started the RKO journey where I started to build um, what I've built now, which is essentially uh, an app that measures your mental fitness. So it's kind of like a Fitbit for your brain. Um, and that's how I got to being an entrepreneur. It was completely by accident, really. It sounds like you were an entrepreneur before you started Arkea, though. It sounds like when you're doing that social enterprise that, that you were truly flexing those entrepreneurial muscles, you know, secondhand panini machines and, you know, finding the customer base and, and you know, doing loads of entrepreneurial stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I, again, I was just doing it accidentally and I was, I genuinely was doing it. God, I couldn't say genuinely very well then. I genuinely, <laughs> it's like the 888 genuinely, Exactly. I genuinely was doing it because I wanted to help people. Um, so my motivation was um, beyond setting up a company. It was, I need to make this work. I need to help people. What are my limitations and what can I actually do? Um, so I wasn't, I hadn't really pre-thought too much, um, but I have to say I learned so much in that time and a huge amount of what I learned with social enterprise, um, I, I went into RK with, so you're, you're right about it. I kind of did set it up. Like that. I really identify with that accidental, accidental, I oh got I'm, I can't speak now, the accidental <laughs> entrepreneur vibe. I, I, so I really identify that just because like you said, you know, you just wanted to solve problems. It's kind of how I got started at all of this when I was a doctor on the wards and just, you know, thinking it's actually the system that needs changing. So I'm going to go and fix those problems. And even since doing everything that I'm doing now, it's, I still spot problems to solve and I end up, you know, putting little teams together to go and solve little problems and things. And whilst, you know, that does define you as an entrepreneur, in some ways, I kind of reject the label just because I don't know, that entrepreneur word has kind of become something that, I don't know, it, it doesn't often feel like I am one because of what other people say they are when they say entrepreneur. Do you know what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? I 100% agree with you. I think when people identify or say I'm an entrepreneur, I'm like, no, I just work really hard. Yeah. And, and I, you know, found, like you, like you just said, like you find a problem and you try and solve it. And I think that if you, if you find the right problem and you try and solve it at the right time and you have the right things around you, then you're an entrepreneur. Um, sort of by accident but yeah I, I think when people call themselves an entrepreneur right now it means it everyone's an entrepreneur and, and everyone has has the chance to be an entrepreneur you know I think yeah. any person on this planet you can you can try and do it there's it's you're not special <laughs> I, I, I completely agree and another thing you said there is timing timing is so 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 important yeah. I actually saw a tweet the other day from a venture capitalist talking about another very famous venture capitalist and, and just said that the reason that his record isn't good 
was as good as it should be is because yes, he predicts the future, but he actually predicted it 10 years too early across yeah. multiple different sectors. And so as a VC, he didn't have the, the record of, of the other VCs just because he was almost too good at it, which yeah. I thought was a really interesting way of framing this thing of, of timing is everything. Timing is so important. I mean, there is zero way I would be doing what I'm doing right now if mental health wasn't such a big conversation, such yeah. a big topic. You know, many people before me have built awesome things that help people, um, but they built them, like you said, 10 years too early. Um, and actually they didn't take into consideration the things that are being built right now, not necessarily taking into consideration the way society is right now. So you've got more mature people building solutions to things without having the connection to the younger audience that's coming up. Yeah. I think that's an issue in health tech right now, actually just in general, but yeah. It's, it's tricky. I want to take you back to something that you said at the start of your journey, because I'm going to get some feedback if I don't do this and my listeners are going to have a go at me. <laughs> Can I talk to you about stand-up comedy a minute? And I just want to talk to you about that world. And I've, I've seen a lot from stand-up comics actually um, on, on a few YouTube videos and bits and bobs where they do actually talk about mental health quite a lot. And they do actually talk about the challenges of it. They talk about the isolation, the loneliness, the competitiveness, all these different things contributing to their essentially poor mental health. I mean, was that something that you experienced? Because it sounds like you got quite far of it, you know, you know, going to Edinburgh and, and, you know, 20 minute sets and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It sounds like you, you were quite far in. I mean, was that your experience of stand-up comedy? Do you know what? I just, I had the best fun doing it. Um, I, I think stand-up comedy is amazing. I think if you, if, you, if you even have the slightest inclination that you want to go do it, go do it. Just get up and do it. Um, for me, my experience in stand-up was, and having met lots of other comics, um, was every comic was trying to express something. And at that time, I was trying to express something, um, and I was doing it through that medium. So I think that there's always a lot of emotion um, and awareness um, from comics when they are making jokes. Somebody messaged me the other day and said, where does your inspiration come from and what books do you read? And I, I wrote back saying, I listen to stand-up comics a lot. Hmm. You know, I actually learn a lot from, from watching stand-up and listening to stand-up because people in stand-up do pay attention to the world um, in many different ways than sort of somebody who doesn't because it's their job. Um, in terms of mental health, I think the thing is when you're a stand-up, you're going and doing gigs uh, three times, you know, I was doing it three times a week um, to start. And let me, by the way, let's just get this off the ground. I was a very mediocre beginning stand-up. <laughs> like, I was not amazing at it, um, but I worked hard. Um, and going three times a week, uh, staying up late, 11, you know, 12 o'clock getting home, um, and then having to go to your normal job the next day, you know, you, you drink more because you're in a pub. Um, you know, the, the, the actual lifestyle of a comic is actually quite hard, I think. And I think that that doesn't help with mental health issues um, or, you know, just general well-being. I hate that word, but like the general sort of like health of the human. 
Sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a stand-up comic called Nikki Glaser who talks about that quite a lot, especially about the drinking thing and, and how it can spar you downhill pretty quickly. But I'm pretty, I'm I'm glad that you've said that you listen to stand-up comics and you learn things because actually that's that's my experience too. I do enjoy watching stand-up and I do enjoy watching particular comics. And I think stand-up comics have to be very intelligent people. And similarly, they have to be very open. And you're right, they're all sharing something and they leave so much up there. You know, they, they are totally open with what they're doing. And yeah, I gen- genuinely have learned a fair amount from, yeah. from watching stand-up comedy now that I think about it. But it also, it taught me so much. Like it taught me so much about myself. I have such great, like such a better self-awareness. Um, which, you know, I was already already quite looking into myself from from the whole getting better from not being well. Sure. Um, you know, so that's helped. But really before that, I started looking into myself when I was doing stand-up. And self-reflection is one of the most important things and self-awareness, understanding how you think, how you behave, how you react to situations. And basically, the most important thing, understanding that you can change those things. And so when you do stand-up, um, you know, I, I got away with not having too many awful experiences on stage mm. because my stand-up was all about the mistakes I'd made. Um, and I've made loads of mistakes my <laughs> whole life, like pretty much mistake after mistake after mistake. I, you know, accidentally got married when I was 26 and I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got divorced when I was 29. I came out as gay when I was 30. Like I just got everything wrong. <laughs> pretty much my whole life and so I think when you when you get to stand up on stage and um, own who you are and what you think and you can entertain people while expressing that um, it's an amazing feeling and I think it's it's good for everybody and it's it's also helped me at work because it's meant that when I pitch I tell a story I can move people I can make people laugh um, which most people don't do when they're pitching um and you know when i was bootstrapping last year i got the ux design of um the sort of alpha version of the app built um because i traded it (laughs) with the ceo to teach him his first five minutes of stand-up how to do that amazing very entrepreneurial again jana (laughs) amazing amazing so tell me so Tell me now about the the tracking system, because it seems to me, and by the way, I've heard this from somebody else as well that's ended up documenting a lot about how they're feeling, what they're doing and looking for patterns. It's something that I've heard before. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, the quick turnaround, mm-hmm. how quickly it can help. And it seems like that was your experience too. And then it seems that it was, well, other people you say that were telling you to turn it into an app because they were feeling benefit from it and kind of this wave of pressure and actually already a market there for you. But mm-hmm. talk to me about how quickly that did help you. And but, but just because I want to put that into context of the other person that's told me this, I want to see if the story sounds similar. So basically, when I was ill and I was at the doctors and going to therapy and, you know, listening to people talking to me, um, People kept saying, you know, keep a mood diary, keep a food diary, keep a sleep diary, keep an alcohol diary, keep all these diaries. And I was like, holy shit, you know, I'm dyslexic. I can't even, you know, I'm really bad at writing. Reading sucks. Um, I don't, I'm just, you know, I can sit and write in a book all day. Mm. But I can It seems irrational, he- right? How is that going to help? But also, like, how am I supposed to pick this apart? Like, at that yeah. point in time, I was really unwell. It's fucking crazy. So, you know, like, it, it was just a bad you know, the intention is good. So there's self-reflection 
part of it is good. But the data points, you cannot put that many data points together through writing um, and see if there are any connections. And there are really simple things we do, and they're really obvious um, that you'll just pick up and everyone will pick up in their own behaviors and some will be good and some will be bad. Um, and I think being mentally fit is having the agility to change your behaviors based on your challenges that are coming into your life and how quickly you can change your behaviors to support those challenges. Um, so Much it's not like a, you would do in a physical fitness, if you had a certain challenge to overcome, you'd work on certain elements of your physical fitness. A hundred percent. And and it's not about this sort of, you have to have, you to be clean living and you can't drink, you can't do this, you can't do that. And you should be able to run, everyone should be able to run a, you know, run a triathlon, you, you swim and do other things <laughs> in the triathlon, <laughs> something, whatever, honestly, I do not do those things. Um, it's not about that. It's about you managing yourself and you understanding yourself. So caffeine, for example, um, if I drink a whole cup of coffee, two days later, I'll become manic. Um, Interesting. And what happens is when I talk to scientists and doctors about this, they're like, that's not possible because caffeine clears your system in 24 hours. And, you know, there's two different ways bodies react to caffeine, blah, blah. Mm. And I'm like, dude, you cannot tell me it's not possible because mm. I tracked myself for three years and it is. And the reason it happens is because I drink caffeine. When I drink caffeine, I don't eat. I don't feel hungry. I don't sleep. When mm. I don't eat and I don't sleep and anyone doesn't eat and they don't sleep, their body goes into fight or flight. You have adrenaline release into your body. Cortisol levels go up because you feel out of control. You feel stressed. You know, all these things happen. And then two days later of not really eating, not really sleeping, you know, I am manic. And that's just the answer for me. It is not the answer for anyone else. But I know that about myself. Um, I also know if I start to feel down or a bit depressed, I can drink half a cup of caffeinated coffee and it pops me back up. But these things are super simple um, and we should understand them about ourselves, you know, and how alcohol impacts you is completely different. Sleep, exercise, all those things, you know, we're individuals and um, people have so much data on us. Costa Coffee knows how many coffees you drink a week. Um, you know, <laughs> everyone knows how much exercise you're doing. Everyone has all this data, but actually I think you should have it yourself and you should know and understand what the hell you're doing and whether it's having a positive or negative impact on your life. You know, it's really interesting in the, in the context of personalized medicine, you know, it's a real buzzword at the moment, personalized medicine. And I, I suppose in some cases, the jury's still out, but the notion that you, you should and could measure someone's genetics potentially and figure out how much paracetamol would lead to pain relief or, you know, and extend that to every disease and every drug. This is almost an element of personalized fitness, i.e. the ability to maintain health, the ability to optimize health, in this case, mental health, and actually using that personalization element to keep the healthy healthy, right? I mean, that's, yeah. th that's sort of where you're going with this. Yeah, 100%. And also, I just I have such strong feelings about accountability and responsibility. You know, I was not responsible um, about taking care of myself. I was, I, I didn't pay attention to what was going on. I was just, you know, doing my, my jobs, enjoying myself, started drinking more because I was doing stand up, mm. you know, I was feeling more stress and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's my responsibility and it, you know, I'm accountable. It's my responsibility to keep myself well. It's not someone else's responsibility to do that. 
Um, and I just think that, you know, the more information you have about yourself, the stronger you'll feel um, and the more in control you'll feel. Um, so for me, it's that responsibility. Like, I think that we just haven't paid that much attention to these things and we should. Yeah. So RKO then came out of this because this tracking system fixed you, it fixed other people. And as you say, the even healthy people were starting to use it to keep themselves healthy. So it wasn't only just to pull people out of a, a hole, it was actually to to keep the, the healthy, mentally healthy, I guess. Yeah. So how did you go from an idea to reality and sort of practically, because there'll be people listening that, that are in a similar boat with an idea, they might have an idea for an app, et cetera, although the app isn't the business, it's just the front yeah. door. Yeah. Um, how, yeah, how did you go from an idea to reality? Tell me about that. Um, so uh, a few people had seen me sort of teach or speak or I was, you know, I'd met out and about and had sort of, and sort of started to give me advice. So the first thing that happened was I met people who told me this could be a business. Um, that was the first thing. And that's when I started to believe it myself. So that's, you know, an important thing. Sometimes having other people who've done it before to support you or to give you a bit of direction is really important. Um, and then I set about building a deck um, to explain what I was trying to do and, and the company. And at the, at the beginning, I had all these huge ideas, you know, it was like, I'll build the app and then we'll have a website that can support all these things. And we can recommend people to go and do this and we can teach people, we can do courses. There was like, my brain was like, there's so many things that this can do. There's so many ways that we can help people. Um, and I built my decks, I sent them out to people, I got advice back and every single piece of advice was, this is not going to work. Um, you need to look at this bit. This is not going to work. You need to look at this bit. This bit doesn't make sense. What are you trying to do with this? And, you know, over a couple of months of talking to people, having meetings, listening to feedback, I stripped everything in my first business plan back to just the app again. Um, so I kind of went through this process of going, I'm going to build the app. And then I was like, and I'm going to do all these other things. <laughs> and then I was like, no, that's not the right thing to do. So I'm going to bring it back to just the app. Um, and then I set about trying to get investment. Um, and I had some really positive responses. I thought I'd got investment right at the beginning. Um, somebody shook my hand and said that, but their financial situation changed, um, which meant that that just disappeared. Um, and how much, I, was that, how much was that for out of interest? So at the beginning we, we were raising 500 K and I yeah. had 50 K that was invested straight away. Um, and the 500 K was going to come through that person and the fact that they raised other funds with these other people. And it was kind of like a big pool of investors that all invested together. Sure. Um, so I had access to more investment really quickly. Um, but unfortunately, that just disappeared as, by the way, everyone listening, it does. <laughs> it's, not in, it's not confirmed until that money is in your bank. <laughs> Correct. Um, and so for, for us, that was, you know, for me, that was a really big learning curve. Whilst I did that, because I thought I'd had the investment, I found a developer to build a wireframe for me for free. Um, and then I said, I haven't got the investment in so you know is there a way that you'd be happy to build out to 
the most stripped out alpha version of this so that we can then use that um, to help raise the funds. Um, <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and he <laughs> did do that. And we did do a deal that I would pay him for that time once I'd raised the funds and that I would keep working with him. Um, so, you know, there was that in, in it for him too. Yeah. Um, and so we went about that. We released Alpha. I put a video on LinkedIn and 500 people downloaded it in 24 hours. And within 48 hours, we had a thousand people using it. Um, <clears throat> and then we just started testing it and taking it from there. But it took me till July. And so, so I started, you know, this whole process in, in August. Um, December, I thought I'd raised. <laughs> I didn't, I disappeared. Uh, and then <laughs> I built the beta over the next six months, released it, oh, sorry, the alpha, released it. And then, only then in July, did I sign my first pre-seed investment. And it was honestly the toughest thing I've ever had to do. And I wanted to give up a million times. Um, and it was, it was actually horrible. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about that journey then investing, because the, again, there's... There's lots of people listening that have probably come to us for investment through through the OIUK fund or, or other things that have had rejections and, and all the rest of it and plenty of people, you know, including us at HS, you know, yeah. going through that, those motions and, and trying to get our initial investment and things and you go back and you iterate and all the rest of it. What was that like for you in terms of, because it sounds to me like a typical you know early stage entrepreneur with loads of ideas and a slight lack of focus that wants to do everything for everyone and has all these features and blah 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 you've undergone that journey it sounds like to really distill it into its core functionality which is great it seems like you've proved that there's a market again great but it also sounds like you went and made sure that you were going to get users straight off the bat as well which i guess is for, from an investor's point of view that's always the risk right if you invest in something particularly for you who hasn't actually got a technical co-founder if i'm correct <laughs> no, I don't. yeah because again you're in this trap of like if you go and raise money to build something you're a step behind the people that can build it in-house even yeah so that journey must have been even more tough i mean how how did you go about getting that feedback, iterating, feedback, iterating, feedback, iterating? I mean, was that the process? How, what was that like for you? Yeah. So basically I'm, I just, I'm quite, I, I'm a bit of a bull in a China shop because I didn't realize the China shop that I was going into, if you know what I mean. And yeah. my, <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. Um, but, but also I think, you know, you just have to be robust and you, if you want to do it, you know, connect with the right people on LinkedIn. You know, I, I can't remember how, I don't know how many people I reached out to. It must have been in the hundreds and hundreds, you know, every day. And, and one person might reply, no people might reply, but um, over time they did. And I'd go and meet these people and then I would, I would tell them what I was thinking. And then I would just sit and listen and I would take notes from what they were saying. Um, and then I would go home and I would think about it and I'd be like, is that person right? Is that the right thing? What was the experience that person had had? Do I feel like I agree with that? And you have to take your emotion and how you feel about your product out of it while you're making these decisions, because the decisions have to be built on a business and an understanding of this is a business. And, you know, if you're going and having conversations with people who've exited five companies, taking them to IPO, and they're telling you that it's not going to work in its current format, 
it probably isn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And so listen and change and listen and change and listen and change. You know, I'm, I'm new at this. I don't know anything. You know, I read books. I, I do as much as I possibly can to learn, but I only have a certain capacity. And like you said, I don't have a tech background. You know, so, so really for me, it's, it's that fight and that push to go out and find the truth. And if the truth is what you've come up with sucks and that's, the, you know, was the beginning for me, like that sucked as a business plan, it was stupid. Um, you know, you have to then push through that and go, okay, what's next? And so I think the most important thing is, is actually tenacity um, and, and, and persistence and understanding that you need to be agile and you need to change, you know, to, to get to where you want to get to. Um, but again, I reached out to loads of people on, on LinkedIn, sorry. LinkedIn is amazing. Yeah, LinkedIn is amazing. Um, I just want to highlight something that you said there, which I absolutely loved, which is to go out and find the truth. I love that phrase because it's not as if you're going out trying to convince people to invest in you. You're actually out there to find the truth yeah. of your pitch and how good it is or bad it is because you actually want to change it so that the truth eventually becomes this is the right thing to invest in. I absolutely love that phrase. I'm going to completely steal that, take it forwards, but I might credit you. <laughs> it's totally yours, you If I remember. <laughs> I'm pleased I said something clever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Um, the other thing I want to highlight here is that you've completely negated one thing that I say all the time to people, which <laughs> I definitely need to talk about. I always say that getting your first thousand users is extremely difficult. And this relates back to a conversation that I had with a guy called Asif who runs a company called MedShare, which is like a sort of a Facebook for doctors, although it's extremely reductive and they'll hate me for saying that, but they've got like half a million users globally. You can discuss wow. clinical cases online. You can do all these exciting things. Really cool startup. Definitely check it out if you're interested. But I spoke to Asif about um, getting your first thousand users is extremely difficult. And I actually wrote a blog on it for our uh, HS website. But it sounds like you put one decent bit of content out, got 500 users overnight. And then in two days you had a thousand users, I think you said. So tell me, tell me about that. And was it that easy? And please don't say yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, of course it wasn't. You know, I, I, I'd been talking on LinkedIn and, you know, doing interviews and all that kind of stuff about my story. You know, like I went from mm. being suicidal to having a tech startup in two years. You know, I, I told my story as much as I could to get as much traction as I could so that I had an engaged following. There were people who were like, oh, this person's done something cool. I'll follow her. And, you know, I, I didn't just put one, I mean, I said I put one video up, but that's what got the traction. But before that, I like, you know, and that, like, I don't know, it's not hundreds, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but <laughs> definitely like a few other videos. And, you know, all I've been talking about the past year is my journey as an entrepreneur. I've not been trying to push RKO or sell RKO, although I have obviously mentioned it. Um, I've, I've tried my best to, whenever I put content out, um, it's because it's something I genuinely think will add value. It's an opinion that I think needs to be spoken about, or usually I make videos because I'll think something and then I'll keep thinking it and I'll hear myself talking to people about it. And if I, if I sort of hear myself repeating the same thought or the same opinion, I'll make a video about that because I'll think this is something I clearly want to express. 
Um, so, you know, my, my videos were getting a couple of thousand views. So, you know, that's sort of how that happened. I built my profile up um, over a year so that people, when I did put that video up, you know, there was a couple of thousand people that watched it and 500 of those people downloaded it. Which makes a lot of sense, right? And it's, it's again, the power of content and the yes. power of good content, because if you are consistently adding value to your, to your user base, whatever you want to call it, audience, then as you say, people are far more willing to actually engage with you and engage in that content. And I must admit, I mean, I, I really enjoy the content you put out. It's, it is thoughtful. It does add value. It does give you a bit of a new perspective. And it's actually the reason that I reached out to you initially. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, generating good content and the right content can definitely open doors. And it's something that I definitely believe, particularly in LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn is yeah. an incredible platform mm. right now, you know, at risk of sounding like Gary Vaynerchuk here, but LinkedIn is <laughs> an incredibly good platform at the moment. It seems to be for me anyway, because I'm not restricted by characters. I can put as much as I like. I can link to the yeah. podcast. I can put a photo if I can do a video. You know, there's, lo there's loads of stuff I can do there and it seems to be seems to be really good engagement. I think it's really good for health tech right now as well. Yeah. Well, my investors, most of my investors, um, are not they didn't find me but I, I either found them but they, they would use the videos they would use the linkedin to sort of reference me so interesting when people were being introduced to me they would send my linkedin profile and they'd watch some videos and often when i was being introduced to investors and i was going to have my first meeting with them they'd be like oh, i've seen this video i watched that video i thought that was impressive um and so you know that's that's key, you know, they know you before you're walking into the room, like they can see your character, they can see what you're doing, they understand where you are in the process. It's um, so true. And actually, not everyone can do it. And I think that's a really interesting point, because if you if you can put out really good content, whether that's video in your case, or podcast in my case, you might think internally, oh, anyone can do this, really, it must be really simple. But to actually do that in a really good way that, sh that makes you come across exactly how you want to come across it's actually not a skill that everybody has at all. And so it does set you apart, and it does make you different. And even there's a, you know, there's a lot of people that can do it that also don't do it. And so you're also ahead of them. So I think in any, any way that people think they can generate this sort of content, then definitely get on the bandwagon because it, it certainly does open doors. 100%. And you don't, you don't have to be good, um, you know, on camera you, um, immediately. Like it's I, something I learned. You know, I worked in telly. I was a presenter for a bit. Mm. Um, I did stand up. I learned how to tell stories. I learned how to get things across in a punchy, short way. And if you are looking to start to do videos and you've not done them before, just practice them. And the best way to do it is to come up with what you want to say, like what is your opinion on something, and then you tell that opinion, and then you you sort of give an example of what's happened in your life and why you came up with that opinion. And then you give a conclusion and then you ask people for their opinion. So you know that there's a structure to it. Um, if you watch my videos, you'll always see I'll do the same thing. I'll be like, I just wanted to uh, share something with you. I think this because of this, and so therefore I'm going to do this. What do you think? And that's the same thing. And a video, you can't just, until you're really good on camera, you can't just pick up a phone and do a one minute video and it'd be really good and you just put it up on LinkedIn. That's not what happens. You have to 
really understand what you're saying and do it to camera and get it across as succinct as possible. And if you're going over one minute 30 or pushing over two minutes, you have to start again and do it again. But you know, do it, do it again, do it again and do it again. Don't just stop and give up because it's not something you've done before or you feel uncomfortable. Keep going until you do feel comfortable because it is, it adds so much value. You know, taking an hour of your life to put together a one minute video on LinkedIn that 25,000 people are gonna watch is gonna create and generate more leads from you than you sitting behind your desk or behind your computer, um, you know, sending invites to people. I love that. That's such actionable feedback. I feel like you were speaking directly to me there. Like James put out some content for God's sake, like just video yourself. It's this easy. But the thing is, it's not, it's not easy for people when, when you haven't been on camera and, and mm. you feel awkward, but find, you know, practice, find the way that works for you. You know, I go, I, I remember saying to somebody like, I wish I was, I wish I could get up and go running at six in the morning because I want to be that person. And, I, and this person, because they used to get up and, and go running at 5.30 in the morning, and I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be that person, because in my head, that's a successful person. <laughs> it just is. That's the identity that like, you had for yourself on yeah, the pedestal. That was my thing. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, no, but don't beat yourself up. You're just not a morning person. And the first thing I thought when that person said it to me was, oh, I'm going to be that person. Mm. You know, I'm going to change it. So I did seven days of getting up and going running at 6.30 every morning. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it. I did. And I was like, I am this person. I'm whatever person I want to be. I choose this. So I will get up and do it. I just can't be asked a lot of the time. And that's self-discipline. Mm. But the other thing was, is that I went running and I thought when you go running, you just have to like run and, you know, like just jog, run for like, and plod, for me, it's more of like a waddle. waddle. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but actually what I found was I don't like running like everyone else. I like to jog, I like jog to the park, and then I will sprint my ass off <laughs> as fast as I can until I feel like I'm going to puke. And then I just walk until I can breathe again. And then I sprint as hard as I can. And then I walk. And that's how I run. That's how I feel good about running. And I can't, I can't make it around the whole park just running. I can't do it. Um, so, you know, find your own way of doing that. You know, like videos, you can walk and talk. You can sit and talk. Like, find your way that makes you feel comfortable and do that because it is something you can do if you can talk and, you know, express yourself and you have a camera, you can do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Jana. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I promise. I promise. 2020 is going to be my year for video. Um, cool. All right. So let's talk about Arkea because yeah. we should probably talk about your business. <laughs> I don't care. In this podcast. Um, tell me about then. So, so it's an, so it's an app that, that tracks various elements of your daily life so that you can attribute trends to your mental health. That's where I've got with it so far. So what stage are you at with it right now? I gather you've just had some investment in so tell me about the stage that you're at tell me about the business model who the customers are tell me everything about the kind of businessy stuff okay cool so um we just signed uh, a million vc investment so finally amazing congratulations thank you thank you oh my god um and <laughs> no, it's a good thing 
Um, and where we are with the business is the app is ready for a beta release. We've had 1,500 people sign up for the, the beta release, um, and that's because we jumped on the BBC two weeks ago, which was awesome. Very cool. Um, and so we're doing the beta release. We're going to do a, a bunch of testing in March, beginning of April, and then we'll do a full release April, May. Um, and our customers are obviously we're a B2C app. Um, it's a sort of it's like a freemium, so it is a paid app. But I'm trying to keep it as affordable as humanly possible because at the end of the day, this is about um, was and it always has been about um, getting something out there that's just going to be very useful and helpful. Yeah. To people. Um, so from a B2C point of view, it's, it's very straightforward, simple B2C app. Um, and then we also have two different sort of Strands with B2B. So, from a B2B point of view, we can license the tech to organizations for all of their employees as a health benefit. Um, and because everything you do on your app is completely anonymous, um, we feed back aggregated anonymous data to those organizations so they can see for the first time genuinely what is going on with their employees. It's non intrusive. We beta test this in an agency. Um, and you just learn incredible things um, about what your staff are managing. You can cross-correlate our data with your systems and processes to really understand whether you've got good systems in there um, or if there's a pattern that correlates with people's you know, stress levels or financial stress. One of the places we be testing, 70% of their um, organization was registering financial stress but they had very high salaries um so they brought in financial um planning um as part of what these what what their staff could access so really it's about giving organizations the data so they can make data-driven insights in how to better support um their staff and it's a non-intrusive completely anonymous way of of both communicating actually it's a, a good way for the staff to communicate. I think that employer model is really interesting. I really like that employer model just because, you know, there, I mean, there are so many startups that have done that, you know, in the health tech world, you know, the likes of Sleepio that, that got funded by Index and went to the US and yeah. people like Peter that have done, you know, it's it, it's such a good model to get, the, everyone works, everyone has stresses, every, it's a way to get to people with all of the value that that app brings without the individuals then actually paying for it as well. It's actually the employer that takes that on. And, and it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a win-win or no lose, however you want to describe it in that the employer is going to get healthier employees and the individuals are going to feel better as well. So everyone's kind of a winner in that scenario. So I, I really enjoy that model. Yeah. And so we can do that through, so our main focus is doing that through the sports industry. Um, so we're having conversations with large sports bodies. Um, I can't name them yet. Um, which is really exciting uh, to distribute through sports organizations as well so that people really understand that this is a fitness performance tool um, you know we're not a treatment tool we're not a diagnosing tool we are actually a fitness performance tool and we're part of london sports tech hub so we're already being considered as fitness tech um, so you know that that uh, releasing within that market is, is really strategic and really important for us so that we completely break away from being anything to do with mental health issues, you know, we're not built for people that have diagnosis and that need treatment. We're built for 
anyone that has a brain that wants to function better. Sure. It's optimizing um, health, right? Yeah, exactly. It's um, in the prevention space. If you are going to attribute it in health tech, it's prevention. And exactly. actually it's advice. It's not treatment and, and that side of things, which to be fair, it's again, it's an interesting place to play in just because you then don't have to go undergo all the regulation stuff. And, and arguably you are still preventing people from getting mental health issues. You are helping the system, you're, well, you're helping the individuals, but you're also helping the system by not allowing, um, those conditions to, to develop and then those people then burdening the system and all the rest of it. So there are plenty of reasons to play in that space. And I think it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting one. Yeah, and it, it's it's definitely it's for that, and I've made a conscious decision not to to push on that and not to make that our business model. Because there must be pressure there, right? Because of the yeah. the, the data that you're collecting, the, the the customer base, consumer base, patient base, whatever you want to call it, that, that are actually engaging with this, and actually you know, some of the things that might end up being flagged up, you know, if someone's coming up with all threes or all zeros, depending on how your scale works, yeah. um, you know, it, it could look pretty bad. And so I imagine there's, there's, there's pressure to engage in that stuff, but you're, you're, you're standing firm. Yeah, I'm standing firm about it. I mean, I think we, we obviously have things in place so that if someone is registering that they are unwell, you know, from, from what our app would deem, you know, you not being able to handle your situation because our language is really clear if you're if you're registering financial stress you, you say did did you feel financially stressed today yes okay then your two options are yes i can handle it or you know but i no, i can't handle it um mm. you know if you're saying i can't handle it for financial stress then you know that's okay but if you're you can't handle it and it's been a month of you not handling it we can say hey do you know that there's this thing that you could potentially go on or this website that you can read some more stuff on because you don't need to live under that kind of pressure. But equally, if you are registering something that is a mental health diagnosis, because those options are there and you're registering that you can't handle it, we signpost you immediately to um, organizations that can help you. Awesome. Um, and so the there is and that the, in place. Sorry, I was going to say, and the beta release, can people still yeah. sign up for that? It's just on our website. So if you go, it's um, myarcheo.com um, and it, there's just a link immediately there. Just sign up um, and you'll get the first link to it. We've also, um, we've got about 100 ambassadors already on board um, who will sort of be the people who will help be helping us build it. So they're happy for us to send them surveys and to be part about giving feedback so we can make sure that this is as good as it possibly can be for as many people. Because like you said, you know, we are going into the unknown. We don't know everything about what we're building. We don't know everything about how it's going to be received because this is a different version than the alpha version. So, you know, that's a cool thing to have people saying, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll answer your surveys and we'll do <laughs> workshops and we'll be engaged with you. But just going back, because I did say there were two B2B options and I just, I'm aware that I said it and I didn't oh, say yeah. what the other one was, is that we're also looking at embedding in larger organizations. So there's, um, there is that aspect as well. So there's actually three different ways that we can generate revenue um, for this organization. Um, so, so that for us, having those three ways is really important to us, you know, being successful. I don't know if, if anyone out there is building an app, you really need to look into the costs of your overheads, your data storage, um, cost of acquisition for users and then your pricing plan 
um, because it is tight. If you want to make something affordable, it is super, super tight. Um, if you're just an app. So I would advise anyone out there building that to look into other revenue streams if possible. Jana, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on. I must admit, though, we have run out of time. Oh. Amazingly. It's gone so fast. Yeah. Um, as always, I've learned a great deal, particularly this time about generating content and how I should just stick a camera in front of my face and just, uh, and just go for it, I suppose, a bit more. Yeah. But So I'll definitely take that forward, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners will too. But look, the way that we end these podcasts is I essentially just hand back over to you to summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about what you're up to at RKO, and to close us out with any asks that you might have of our audience. So by all means, take it away. Um, okay, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a new entrepreneur and I started this journey a while ago um, by accident, but I've built something that I genuinely believe is going to help people and help change people's way of behaving and looking after themselves. Um, and I'm just a normal person. <laughs> <So> <laughs> if you're out there and you are trying to start a business um, and you feel like you're not good enough or you're not ready uh, and all that kind of stuff, don't listen to that noise in your head. You know, get up and do something about it and start it. I don't have a degree. I never worked in tech before. And most of the time I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> and I just get up and I just do my best. So, you know, if you want to do something, get up and do it. Amazing. And Summarize Arkeo for us and tell us if you've got any asks of our audience. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Arkeo is a mental fitness app and it's designed to empower people to take control of their mental fitness. Um, it's very simple. Kind of think about it like a Fitbit for your brain. Um, and my ask is if you want to check it out, just go onto our website and sign up for the beta version. Um, and that's about it, really. Awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you, Jana, how is the best way to, to grab you? Um, definitely jump on LinkedIn. Um, and if you can try and send me a message as well, then I'll, I'll read that because I get quite a few in. And so if you want to get in touch, then write me a message on LinkedIn. Cool. And I will post the links to Jana's LinkedIn, RKO, all the rest of it in the description of this episode for everybody listening. So Jana, thank you so much for coming on and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. Hey everybody and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.